Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Q. Turn to Luke chapter 8. We're going to talk about broken but useful today. We've been in a series titled, It's Okay to Be Broken. And so I hope I've conveyed that to you. I hope that I've shown you, demonstrated to you in this, this word, this particular teaching in seven, that this woman, uninvited to a, to a party, showed up and moved from her broken state to an unbroken state. Well, so we, we've talked, this is the fourth week, and I'll end this series today, but we've talked about the blessedness of bro- being broken and how, without going into a whole lot of detail, that in our brokenness we pursue or chase after God without considering what's going on around us. And then we talked about the, the test of brokenness and the three things out of this text that we can use to determine whether or not we're properly broken, whether or not we're actually useful. And then last week, out of the last three verses of chapter 7, 48, 49, and 50, we talked about moving from pieces to peace, which, of course, is only available in Christ Jesus. It said, Then he said to her, Your sins have been forgiven. Those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this man who even, who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. And we talked about the process by which we move from pieces to the true peace of God that the word of God promises us. That he, as God, is the only one capable of forgiving our sin. Because it's him that we've sinned against. And we come to realize who he is, how big he is, the magnificence of his ability. As we begin to answer the question, who is this man? I've I've heard it often said that, I don't want to know about Jesus. I just want to know Jesus. Can I tell you, that's stupid. Because it's not possible to know Jesus until you know about Jesus. It's not possible to honor God until you know God. It's not possible to glorify God until you know who God is. Everything starts with an understanding first. Even if that understanding is imparted by the Holy Spirit, there is an understanding first, a knowing first, And in that knowing, we come into relationship. Amen? And so, in answering that question, who is this man, we have to come to a place where we recognize that that it is Jesus, that he is the one that died for us, that he is the one capable. And grasping a hold of that in faith, we're saved. And moved, truly, from that place of being busted to pieces to peace. And I, I don't know about y'all, man, but last week was it was beautiful to me. It was such a beautiful truthfulness to the simplicity of Scripture. So today I want to talk to you. We're, I'm going to continue this line with it's okay to be broken. In fact, you're intended to be broken. We're broken all for a different purpose. We've discussed all of that. But God intends us to be broken and useful, not just broken. And so we're broken, but useful is the title of the lesson today. I want to I talk to you about 
we are broken for a purpose. I bought this cup this week on Amazon. Actually, I think my wife did, but regardless. This because my wife takes care of me. This cup is called a Kintsugi cup. As you could tell, it's just a regular coffee cup. It's actually a four different pieces of four different coffee cups that, having been completely destroyed, were useless. There was no way that they would accomplish the purpose for which a cup was made. Amen? Now, there's beauty in that, that God can use our brokenness. But when we submit to the process of being remade whole, we become, once again, beautiful for our purpose. Kintsugi literally means the art of broken pieces. Or there's some question in the translation whether it means that or the art of beautiful scars. I love that. Because I don't know about you, but I'm broken and a piece of art on display for God because of my beautiful scars. Not because of who I am, but because of who he remade me to be who he remade you to be. The, the thing that I love about this cup isn't necessarily that it was molded back together because honestly, if he did just, if the maker would have just glued it, it would have been all, eh, whatever. Most people put a cup back together, they try to make it so you can't see the cracks. But on, in this particular form, you not only see the cracks, but you celebrate its past. You recognize the, the brokenness within it. And that's what creates the beauty in it. This is what creates the beauty in us. God made no intent, had no purpose to hide our brokenness, but to put it on display so everyone could see. And that's exactly what he's done. He's put us on display so everyone can see, so that we might be useful for his purpose. And this is our responsibility. This is what I want to talk to you today out of 8 verses 1 through 3. Continuing in the text, shortly after this lady, this woman, was at this uninvited party, it starts back up. It says, soon afterwards, soon after that, he began going around from one city and village to another, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. Mary, who was called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others who were contributing to their support out of their private means. This text is often overlooked. I've never heard a teaching out of this text, but it's so powerful if you'll understand that we put the partitions in the Scripture, we put the verses in the chapters in the Scripture, we put the headings in the Scripture, all of this should be understood together. And so in her being brought to a place of peace, I think it's very intentional that Luke then went from that to saying what he said here. And essentially what he's saying is, in our brokenness, we are useful. And we're useful, according to this text, because I, don't want, I want to stay within the context of it. We're useful in three ways. The first way that we're useful, according to this text, is we are useful as we declare the kingdom of God. 
we are useful as we declare the kingdom of God. Verse 8, or the first part of it, says, Soon afterwards he began going around from one city, he being Jesus, one city and village to another, proclaiming the preaching, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God. Did you know this was Jesus' primary purpose? His primary mission, his primary message was repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. After he had been baptized, after he had been confirmed by the Father, after he had his desert experience, after he even went to the authorities, opened up the scroll of Isaiah, and told them, this is who I am. Then it says in Matthew 4, 17, then it says, then from that time Jesus began to preach and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And I will tell you that we are useful as we have this same message in our mouth. But before we have this same message in our mouth, we must do what this message says. We must be people of repentance. I know I say this all the time. Quite honestly, there's two or three messages that I give all the time. I talk about repentance. I talk about suffering. And I talk about Christ and Him crucified. You know why? Because these things are important for us to understand. They're absolutes. They're necessities. We have to be a person of repentance. We have to be people of repentance first before we call other people to repentance. Which means we have to have a constant state of mourning our sin, of weeping over our sin. As David said, as though our sin is crushing our very bones. I can remember when I first gave my life to the Lord, the first time I felt... True conviction, man. I was, I felt exactly like that. My heart was racing. I was sweating. I wasn't sure what was happening. I felt pushed down in my chair, but at the same time lifted out of my chair. I felt like everything around me was collapsing, and I had to get to Jesus. When people say, do you, do you feel convicted? That's what that feels like. If you've ever had a heart attack, that's what that feels like. And so we have this repentance requirement to mourn our sin. But it's not enough to mourn our sin. I could have sat in that chair. You could have sat in the chair you sit in and mourned your sin and not done anything about it. But the Bible says we must declare Christ is Lord, according to Romans 10, 9. To declare out of your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. This is the act of repentance, to declare lordship, to say, God, I'm sorry for my sin. I'm asking you to forgive it. Amen? But it's not enough to ask for forgiveness. Some of y'all are all, man, you're, you're really messing up me up with lists today. I'm not trying to call lists to your attention. I'm trying to make you understand the, the breadth of our Christian responsibility in regard to repentance. I can say I'm sorry, but not change. I didn't really mean I'm sorry. I can declare lordship and not make Jesus Christ Lord and I'm not really saved. I can turn away from my sin and still not be saved. Because let me tell you, you don't have enough strength in your body to turn from your sin without the working of the Holy Spirit in you. But God calls us to repent, declare Christ as Lord. When we do that, truly believing that that's what we're doing, believing in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, Something miraculous happens to us. 
And when I say miraculous, it's exactly what I mean. God creates something out of nothing. Our salvation, I've said this before, is likened to creation. In that there was nothing, God spoke it into his existence and there was everything. Where there was no righteousness in your repentance, God created righteousness where there was no righteousness. Don't ever mistake your salvation for anything but the magnificent, creative miracle that it is. But we have to repent to receive that, but not just receive it. It doesn't mean just walk in righteousness. It means turn towards Jesus. Because if I just walk in righteousness and do everything I can under my own power to not sin, that's the salvation of works, and you're going to hell for that. You know what keeps us from going to hell? Jesus. So we turn away from our sin, turn towards Jesus, are empowered then to walk away from our sin, recognizing that we still fall, but from time to time, or when I say time to time, for me it's like seven or eight, ten times a day, I have to repent and live a lifestyle of repentance. Am I talking too fast for y'all? Some of y'all look at me like a cow staring at a new fence. But I'm just trying, what am I trying to tell you? We should be people of repentance. Whatever happened to you when you were seven years old at an altar of prayer, if it didn't change your life or move you towards righteousness and cause you to glorify Christ in your life, you, you wasted your time. <laughs> Repent. For the kingdom of God is at hand. It says that he declared and proclaimed, or it was correction, he proclaimed and preached. What does that mean? That means he made a public and authoritative declaration of the good news. Because to preach is to evangelize, to proclaim is to publicly and authoritatively declare a message. It said from that time forward, Jesus went. And he authoritatively and publicly made a declaration of the good news. That he is the good news. This is our responsibility. You want to make a difference in the world? Repent so that you're right. So you can call other people to repentance by publicly declaring that the good news is Jesus Christ. No two ways around it. There's not another way to heaven. Well, if you intend on staying there. Every way gets to heaven. Sadly, you're just going to be there long enough if you don't know Jesus to bow your knee and leave. This is what the scripture says. Declare publicly and authoritatively. One of the things, I have a love-hate relationship with a, a quote written by St. Francis of Assisi. Some of you may be familiar with it. He said, he said everywhere you go, preach the gospel. And when necessary, use words. And everybody's like, man, I like that. Can I tell you, when we first got saved, I think I actually had a t-shirt with that on it because it sounded so so twittery, right? It just made me feel good. I was super Christian. But can I tell you, that's ridiculous. Declare the word of God. Now, you should also be who you're called to be within the circles of influence that you have, but we're called to authoritatively and publicly declare the good news if we're going to be like Jesus. Because that's what he did. He didn't just hover around and hope people just got some Jesus off of them. 
Now, I'll tell you, most of those conversations happen within the context of relationship. So it's important that you be who you're supposed to be. But there are times when we just have to say, listen to me. I love you enough to tell you this truth. And make an authoritative declaration of who Jesus is. Amen? Because I, I don't know. The whole thing I'm trying to do here is show you guys how to make a difference. How to be useful. How many of you guys hope to be useful in the hands of God? I hope all of us. I'm not sure why you showed up here if you didn't. I mean, other I got this nice blue sport coat on today. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean to declare the kingdom of God? It means to tell them the truth. It means to tell them that without Jesus, you're damned to a sinner's hell. People say, how can Jesus send people to hell? Jesus has never sent anyone to hell. God has never sent anyone to hell. fact of the matter is, the Bible tells us in John 3, 16, the good news. That God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but what? But have everlasting life. We all learned this. If we didn't even grow up in church, we know this, because some, some lunatic was holding it in a billboard at a football game. Right? But what makes that truth so beautiful? The truth of verse 18 makes that truth beautiful. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe in him has been judged already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. How can a good God send people to hell? A good God doesn't send people to hell. You were going to hell already. A good God created an opportunity for you to not go there. So we start declaring the kingdom of God by telling them the truth of who they are. Well, that's going to make me unpopular. Better to be unpopular in the court of a king. Not only do we talk about that, but that in that he extended his mercy to us. I'm going to read some verses to you and his grace to us. Romans 2.4 says, Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience? I feel like when we don't declare Jesus, that's exactly what we're doing. We're we're taking lightly what he's done for us, the extension of mercy and grace that he's given us, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance. God extended us mercy. We were going to a sinner's hell. God extended us mercy. Don't, don't, let me get messed, don't let me get messed up in talking a lot of religious words. Mercy is essentially this. It's the extension of favor where you deserved punishment. And the person that you deserve to get punishment from had the authority to give it to you. Because that's what he did. Mercy is who he is. Grace is the manifestation of that. Mercy, unmerited favor. What does it mean to declare the kingdom of God? It's to declare Jesus, that we were sinners. That he extended us mercy. Not only that he extended us mercy, but he created righteousness in us. Philippians 3, 8 and 9, So that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law. I don't have my own righteousness. 
but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. None of us are capable of righteousness. You know what's crazy? God can extend us mercy and still not make us righteous. He can still say, I forgive you. I don't want anything to do with you. I think we miss that a lot. That God's extension of mercy automatically means that he's going to restore us to righteousness. He doesn't have to. It's an extension, a continued extension of his mercy that causes him to create righteousness in us. But I, I know several people that I, I know and I make relationship with or have conversation with that I don't want in my circle. Jesus opened up the circle and allowed you to come into it through Christ Jesus. That's, that's what it is to declare the kingdom of God that this inward holiness is only possible through Jesus. Hebrews 10.10 By this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. And I love that. What does it mean to declare the kingdom of God? I know I keep asking the same question. But this is the equipping place. It means to recognize that you weren't worthy. Matter of fact, your sin disqualified you. None of us are righteous. No, not one, according to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, if you'll read it with an open ear, spiritual ear, it'll, it'll devastate you. Because all of us, according to 3.23, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But we deserve that, but he decided to give us mercy. And in the deliverance of that mercy, decided to make us righteous. And in that righteousness, created continued holiness in us. You know why? So he could spend time with us in eternity. This is what it is to declare the kingdom of God. And why is it so necessary that we do it? One, because Jesus did it. I don't want to be too simple, but Jesus did it. I figure we should. But this truth stands firm also. Because those who don't hear it remain condemned. Romans 2.5 But because of your stubbornness or those that have heard it and rejected it but because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteousness of God. I'm going to ask you a question. I don't want you to raise your hand. I just want you to use this as a point of reflection later. If in fact all of us are going to hell were it not for Jesus. And that's the truth. Or this Bible is a lie. And we know that that's not true. If we're all going to hell, were it not for the extension of mercy, grace, and righteousness, and holiness given by Christ Jesus through the shedding of his blood, how bad do you have to hate someone to not tell them that truth? Who have you withheld that truth from? Because I don't like them. Whether we like them or not, Jesus died for them. Jesus extended mercy for them. We're not a special kind of people. We're only special because we accepted the general call of God on our life. But you know how they know? They know when they hear 
because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And as we learned last week, we grab a hold of who Jesus is by faith alone. And I can think of a whole world that needs peace. And we hold the truth tightly like somehow the peace that we have is going to get smaller if we share it. It's not true. The euphemism is that a candle doesn't get any less light when it lights another candle. Open up your hand and share it. That's how you're useful in the kingdom of God. To declare as Jesus declared the coming of the kingdom of God. And to recognize, my point too, is that we are useful regardless of our background. This is the piece of the truth that just messes me up, man. You guys ever thought I ain't good enough to do that? And I tell you, you're exactly right were it not for Jesus Christ. This Bible says the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. Mary, who is called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others. Look at the list of these people. Jesus didn't look at their qualifications. He healed them, found a place in their life, and then qualified them. This woman had seven demons in her. And you read about her over and over in the Scripture. She's immortalized in the eternal Word of God, even though she was so horribly broken that she had seven demons cast out of her. You see... Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward. Steward's another word for executive assistant. So she was the wife of the guy that wrote, writes Herod's checks, keeps his schedule, does all of his stuff. You tell me she's a woman of compromise? Because let me tell you, if I was going to look for somebody to follow me, it wouldn't be somebody from the president's Oval Office. But that's exactly who Jesus used. Susanna, we don't know anything about her. And then it talks about the apostles, so except that she must have been faithful. And then the apostles, what a jacked up bunch of dudes that was. Fishermen, normal, average guys. There's two guys specifically that I want to draw your attention to. Matthew and Simon the Zealot. Not Simon Peter, Simon the Zealot. And there's a reason I'm drawing your attention to them. Because he used them. Matthew was a tax collector. That's how he's identified in Scripture. You know what that means? That means he was Jewish, but he stood on the side of the Roman government to extort money from his own people. And God said, I'm going to use that dude. And then he said, I'm going to use Simon the Zealot too. You know what a zealot is? That's not his last name. The Zealots were a religious sect of Judaism that were very extremist, that was intent on running government out of their country, the Roman government out of their country. They were known to carry daggers in their cloak. 
And if they could find a time or a place to do it, they would kill Roman soldiers and Roman officials. I want you to think about that for a minute. Don't let that get past you. Matthew was the worst of the worst. He was a race traitor. Simon the Zealot was intent on killing anybody that had anything to do with the government. And God said, I can reconcile these two. I can reconcile anybody. Imagine, though, what that campfire must have looked like for the first year. My guess is Matthew didn't sleep well the first year. We need to think. God used them. You know what was special about them? Nothing. Which means that God can use us. You know what's special about Pastor Jim? Nothing. I got this blue sport coat. I'm going to keep referencing it, but nothing. A man just like you. They were, we are men just like them. But God used them anyway. Bible's full of people like this. You look at Moses. Moses had a calling on his life. He recognized a calling on his life. But because he was impatient or didn't listen or some something, he decided to go about accomplishing that calling in his own power and killed somebody. Ran off in the desert for 40 years and God called him back. That ought to be a word of encouragement for somebody. You're all, man, I had an opportunity when I was young to declare Jesus, but feel like I messed that up. There's still a burning bush out there for you somewhere. God hasn't forgotten you. Your feet are a little dirtier. That's all right. The art of the beautiful scar can fix that. Joseph, arrogant. God broke him. He ended up saving all the Hebrew, the, the entire Hebrew nation. Paul, persecutor of Christians, drug them out of their house had a government officially signed document to do so. God got a hold of him and used the intellect that he had to write so much of the New Testament. No telling how many millions of people, billions of people have come to know Jesus because of this guy that used to kill Christians for a living. God's not done with you. He hasn't even started with you. Amen? I think the worst tragedy in the world is for people to finally get to a place in their in their life where they're all it's time for me to pass the torch on to somebody else it's never time for you to pass the torch now you might move from station to station but you always have a responsibility to the kingdom of God amen you always have something to accomplish there's a tradition in, in Indian culture Indian American Indian culture back in the day that when a young man was a young man he was a warrior and a hunter and that's that's his qualification that's what he did he was strong capable fast but as he grew older and he became less strong and less fast they would transition him in that community from warrior to hunter to grandfather and they would take that grandfather and he would he would build a campfire 
while the warriors were out, while the hunters were out. And when they came back, the very first thing they did was went to the grandfather and debriefed what they had done. I fought the fight like this, grandfather. I hunted like this, grandfather. And the grandfather, because of his experience, his knowledge, his background, was able to say, yes, but if you would do this, or if you would do that. The problem is we think in our society, and sadly in the church a lot of times, that once we stop being hunter, hunters and warriors, there's no use for us. Can I tell you, the world is in desperate need, the church is in desperate need of grandfathers willing to sit around campfire. You're never unqualified to do what God's called you to. Amen? And then number three, we are useful as we provide for the gospel. This is where a lot of pastors get nervous, but I'm just going to keep this in context and let you deal with it how you want to. Who were contributing to their support out of their private means. A lot of pastors will tell you, well, time and talent is important. You need to give that too. And I, I completely agree. You should have your hands dirty. We shouldn't be a church just of check-writing Christians. We should have... Our Bibles should be bound in boot leather. Amen? But that's not what he's talking about right here. He's talking about you want to be useful in the kingdom of God? Give so that the kingdom might grow. We're useful as we're willing to give. People say... I've actually heard this. It's, it's closed-minded, old-school thinking. I don't know that we should pay a pastor to do what he does. He just preaches on Sunday. First off, you have no idea what a pastor does if you think I just preach on Sunday. But can I tell you, you don't pay me to preach to you. I want you to know that. You have never one time written me a check to preach or to teach you. Because I believe... The gifting that God gave you should be used for the kingdom of God. And so I figure up all my hours at the end of every week. I'm on salary, so it doesn't matter, but I figure up my hours. And just so I can keep a mental note, I subtract four of those hours. Because the three hours I'm up here and the hour on Wednesday, I'm here because this is what God gifted me to do. I don't pay an usher to do what God gifts them to do. What do you pay me for? You pay me to push the ministry forward, to be available for prayer, to go to homeless encampments and check on them when it's six inches of snow outside. Me and Ken went this last time it snowed. You pay me to, to meet the need to go to the coffee shop, and you're all, I'll pay you to go to the coffee shop. You actually do pay me to go to the coffee shop because there I meet and am able to pray with people I'd never meet inside the walls of this church. So we give to move the ministry forward, not just my salary, but so that all these things can happen. We all talk about we want a first century church, but let me tell you, if I treated this like a first century church, you wouldn't want it. If I took all the chairs out of here, if I shut the air conditioner off in the middle of the summer, made you sit in the floor and I sat down because that's how they did back then, 
Y'all wouldn't come here past August. Probably wouldn't come here past June. You know what keeps the electric on? You know what keeps the air conditioner flowing? You know what bought these nice chairs? You guys, and I'm thankful for you for it. I'm not, I'm not condemning you. We have a church that is beautifully generous. It's one of our core values, generosity. Angel and I are as generous as we can stand to be, sometimes to the point of inconvenience, but that's what sacrificial giving is. Because we know that at the end of the day, the end of our life, it's the end of our life. We give because I'm going to meet somebody one day in eternity that met somebody, that met somebody, that met somebody, that met somebody, that met me in a coffee shop. And that's a beautiful thing. Why do we give? We give so, not so that we can pay back a debt. Because we can't pay back a debt. But so that others might know the debt that was paid for them. And what is that debt? Let me, let me tell you. Colossians chapter 2 reads like this. 13 and 14. We were dead in our transgressions and the, the uncircumcision of our flesh. He, Jesus, made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. And he was taken, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. That's the debt. That there was a debt we couldn't pay, but Jesus Christ paid it. And because that's true, I hope that you strive, maybe even more than I do, to be broken. But in that brokenness, be useful. To be this beautiful cup that celebrates its scars and recognizes that it's the scars in you that are going to give you the opportunity to talk to people that I may not be able to talk to. You know who the best person to talk to an addict is? Somebody that's been freed from addiction. Celebrate the scar. But use the scar. Amen? That's my prayer today. Coming out of this series that we understand that there's beauty in brokenness. But if it's not beauty with the intent of usefulness, it's just broken. Amen?